you know, I never was a missions guy. Ushers, you can go ahead and pass the bags. Um, I never was a missions guy. I mean, you may know if you've been in some church circles, or even if not, you may know the type of person that uh, they're always telling the stories of, hey, I went this place, and I went this place, and I did this work, and I shared this message. Uh, Maybe you know those people. I was never that guy. Uh, In fact, up to about three years ago, uh, I'd never been anywhere outside of the country for a missional purpose. I I had been some places. I'd tell people I lived in Mexico for a while, and they'd be like, oh, is it for a mission? I'd say, no, it was actually for fishing for fish. Um, actually, not for fishing for men, as sometimes we talk about missions. So, um, but I've never been that missions guy. Um, what I've found in actually stepping out and doing that uh, and going, it's kind of been God's been doing something in my heart as well as giving those opportunities. Um, and uh, God's grown uh, me in that particular area. And, uh, but what I've found is this, that has actually become easy for me to go to Haiti. Um, it's actually, uh, I mean, yeah, you do without some comforts, amenities, you miss your family, um, and there's some risk involved, uh, but uh, actually it's become very easy to go and to lead a team and invite others to go. It's become easy uh, for me to, to do that, to go see some strangers in great need and to uh, have a week where I'm really centered on, okay, this is a very purposeful week. There's no distractions. You're far from it all, and you're just focused on uh, sharing the message and the love of Jesus with people. Uh, because you're in a different part of the world. Um, What is also kind of easy for me, this may sound weird for some of you that have kind of a fear of public speaking, but this is actually easy for me too. To to Sunday morning stand up and and to a bunch of people from Davis and the surrounding areas talk about the gospel of Jesus. Uh, What was petrifying to me a couple weeks ago, I was asked to share in a chapel for uh, about 300 elementary school kids. Now that is terrifying for me. Now, I have no problem speaking about my faith to hundreds of Davis intellectuals, but put me in front of some little kids and I get all nervous. But what I found is really not easy for me is sharing my faith with my neighbor, sharing my faith with my old PhD advisor, sharing uh, the gospel message with the people don't, that see, don't seem to want to hear. And so uh, what's easy to sometimes go for a week, what is really not easy is living it out another 51 weeks out of the year. Of living in the midst of distraction and life and all these things that would pull on me to stay focused on my faith and sharing that faith with others. Uh, Maybe it's because of uh, growing up that I one time did that and a bunch of kids uh, laughed at me. And so I learned, okay, if you share your faith, you're going to get laughed at. Maybe it's my potential to want to please people. Or maybe it's uh, being afraid of the questions somebody might ask and not know the answer, even though uh, I'm a seminary-trained pastor. Somebody might ask a tough question, like, uh, where is God when things hurt? I might know some Bible verses, but might not know what to say to that person. It's a challenge to share Christ in our everyday lives. I want to be honest with you. It is a challenge that comes up for us. That's why we call it a gospel challenge. But here's what we need to know. For uh, as we kind of welcome into this church, as we live our lives as a church, Discovery Christian Church was planted in this city of Davis over 14 years ago. And we're planted here for a purpose. It was about 16 years ago 
that people from both California and from the Midwest uh, began praying for a gospel-centered, disciple-making movement here in the city of Davis, in a university community where uh, a lot of people have a lot of different purposes, but maybe missing out on God's purpose uh, in our lives. That's why this church was planted here, to be a beacon of hope, to be a beacon of direction, to be a beacon of peace to people who are wandering, to give guidance, to people who are lost, to help them to be found. For people who are wondering with all their questions to give them some answers about who is God and what does he want from us. This is why this church was planted here. A place where the gospel would be proclaimed. As the Bible says that the gospel, uh, that we're not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of salvation to all those who would believe. And in actually believing that, that this church would be here. Because those people grasp the heart of God. That God is love and that he wants to welcome people who are far from him back to him. That they grasp that this city is a city in need. I'll confess, sometimes it is easier to be church people leading church people. Rather than to be about the mission that we were all started here for. The mission that God has called us to. But a look at the gospel reminds us. A look at the gospel calls us back to what God has done in our lives and then called us to be about. That's why we've been in this series for, uh, this is week four, part four of the gospel series we've been in. Uh, if you pull out your notes, you'll see uh, kind of where we've been uh, at and where we've been talking about. We've been wanting to come back to the root of what our faith is all about. We are centered on the gospel. So we've been asking, what is the gospel, and seeking to grasp it. We've been seeking to grow in our trust and to live in view of the gospel and even to share our gospel through the gospel challenge, where we wanted to share the gospel in words with somebody. And for many of us, that's been a challenge for all the reasons, like I've confessed, it's not always easy in everyday life. But we want to say, what do we believe? And if it is good news, right? That's what the gospel means, good news. It's the good news that Jesus died for sinful, lost, condemned people, and he rose again to give us the hope of new life now and into eternity. That's the good news of the gospel that we're seeking to grasp and to have overflow from our lives. And today we're talking about part four. We've already talked about part one was, hey, there's this great, big, awesome God that we need to grasp. We talked in part two about the reality of our sin and the fact that we have offended and we have wronged God and we live broken lives because of it. But God, because he so loved the world, sent his son Jesus. We talked about Jesus last week and who he is. Fully God, fully man, come to pay the sacrifice for our sin. That if we trust in him, we can have eternal life that begins here and now. And so part four, though, is this part. That it requires personal response. That we don't get anything from the gospel because our grandmother believed in it and prayed for us. We don't get anything from the gospel because we attend church. No, there's a personal response that must take place. And today we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 as we talk about this. The response that God calls you and I to. 
So we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. Uh, if you need a Bible, we want everybody to have a Bible. Uh, we don't have the scriptures up on the screen this morning. And so if you need a Bible, because we're going to want to look at some stuff. Um, just put up your hand. Uh, you can get a Bible. Um, you can also pull out your phone and uh, the Discovery app. You can um, look up this message. We'll be in Romans chapter 10 in the New Testament. It's page 810 on the Bible uh, that you will get. So Romans 10, of course, there were a bunch of chapters beforehand. We, we've been talking about some of these verses where uh, God has, or where the Apostle Paul, a missionary in the first century, was writing to the church in Rome and telling them all about the details of the gospel. So he covered all those parts about God and about man and about sin and about Jesus. And now in Romans 10, he's talking about our response. And he begins talking as a believer who has grasped the fullness of that message of the gospel and let it sink deep into his heart. And this is what he says, Romans 10, beginning in verse 1. He said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He says, my heart's desire, my prayer for them is that they would be saved from their condition. Now, who is them? Who is he talking about? Well, if you read back a little bit, you see that Paul's talking about the Jewish people, uh, the nation of Israel, those who had been given God's laws, commands, the Old Testament uh, many years prior. And uh, Paul is writing about these people that knew God and had a relationship with God. But you see what happened uh, when Jesus came along, they rejected Jesus. Rather than seeing him as the Savior who he taught he was and who uh, the, the Old Testament had spoken about who he would be, uh, they denied that and they turned around. So Paul's looking and he says this. He says, For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He says, I look at these Jewish people, they are very zealous about good things. They're very zealous. I mean, they would sacrifice animal upon animal trying to appease God according to Old Testament law. But they missed that. That wasn't really the ultimate answer to their sin. That was kind of only biding time until Jesus came and was the one true sacrifice. And so Paul looks and says, they're still going about all these sacrifices. How many animals are paying the price? How much blood is being shed? But they're missing that Jesus shed his blood once and for all. And so he looks upon them, trying to earn their righteousness, trying to earn through these works. And he says, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they wouldn't be zealous about these wrong things. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But that they would come to know Christ and believe in him. Paul sees these zealous people. He sees they're missing the point, and his heart breaks. And he says, my heart's desire and prayer is that they would be saved. So for those of us right now who would say that we believe in the gospel, that we've grasped it, we've trusted in Jesus, uh, my question for us would be, in view of the gospel that we have believed, who does your heart break for? What is your heart's desire in view of the gospel? What is your prayer Because when we grasp the gospel, we begin, as Paul speaks of, looking at there's something more than our own self. I mean, very often, I know I do it too, 
we get so caught up in desiring the things for ourselves, we don't think about others. We may think about the church people around us because they're our friends, but do we think about the world around us? What is your prayer? Think of it this way. If everything that you prayed for this past week, if, imagine just God spoke down to whatever you prayed for this past week, and he just said, okay, you want that boom, 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 done. What would be different in the world today? Who would have a saving relationship with Jesus? Sure, maybe you would have the boyfriend that you always wanted, or the perfectly behaved kids, or the comforts that you would want, or even healing from past wounds that are good things. But really, would there be anything different in somebody else's life? What group of people is on your mind? Paul, because he had grown up in that faith, his background was, was Jewish. His heart broke for his people. And knowing the scriptures and knowing how hard he had tried, his heart broke for the people because they didn't have. Who's your group of people? Who does your heart break for? Some of you, many Christians today, still pray for uh, the Jewish people and, and Israel, that they would come to know Jesus. Some of us pray for people in the Middle East of other faiths. Some people pray for those who are experiencing alcoholism because we were one time there or have wounds in their past and need redemption, but they're lost and broken. Pray for them. Many of us pray for our families because our heart breaks for them. Us here, we pray for our city. We were planted here as a church in Davis for a reason, for the group of people that are here. And here's the way I run the math, because sometimes you'll hear me say some, some of these things. Um, if I look, and if I just assume that, okay, people that go to Christian churches um, perhaps have a relationship with Jesus. You do some math, a couple big churches, a couple middle churches, a couple smaller churches. Uh, those that preach Jesus, um, you maybe end up with about three, 4,000 people that attend Christian churches in Davis. I add in a couple campus fellowships that do great work uh, that, that preach uh, Jesus as well and may add a couple thousand more. I subtract a few people who uh, go to church but don't really believe in Jesus. Add a few more who actually believe in Jesus but don't go to church, and that's kind of a wash. And you end up maybe, the way I do the math, just an estimate, about five, 6,000 people in our city. You may have some disagreements with that math, but just that's where it's coming from. That means that in a city of 65,000 people with about five, 6,000 people that maybe have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that means when we walk the street, 13 out of 14 people that we pass do not know Jesus. And we have to ask as we live in view of this gospel, as we come and we worship and we sing songs about God being love, God reaching out to the brokenhearted and being so thankful that he reached out to me. Do we care one bit about the people that we walk alongside of? Do the math for your neighborhood, for your workplace. Does your heart desire anybody to be saved? Do you pray for them? Or do we simply focus on ourselves? See, Paul would call us, just as we're calling at the end of this series, to consider what we really believe about the gospel and whether we live in view of that. And are we 
experiencing what God would call us to. What is really, we're talking about response. What is the response that we desire to see? Sometimes we, we don't often talk about this. What is it that we really desire and pray to see? I'll tell you what it is. It is eternal salvation of people. Because what we have looked at and said, yes, this world is broken, but this world is not all there is. These days on earth will come to an end, and there is an eternity that we either live with God or apart from him. And so we want to see people be saved from eternal wrath. That's what we want to see. And Paul tells us what this response looks like. In verse 9, he says, If you, as an unbeliever, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what does response look like? He tells us very clearly that it begins with belief in the heart. Belief in the heart is where it comes from. Uh, I've learned this very well. There's nothing that I can do to convince anybody about Jesus. I've shared, I've talked. Belief in one's heart is ultimately the work of God in a life. God reaching out to the individual, calling them to respond to him in faith, giving them the gift of belief through his Holy Spirit. We call this, in church terms, regeneration. That God does a work in us, giving us that belief, giving us that faith, calling us to respond. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in our next series that's coming up in a couple weeks and the work that he does within us. But for now, let's know that it begins with belief in one's heart. Not an external religion, not an attendance of church, not doing sacrifice after sacrifice or good work after good work, but belief in who Jesus is and what he has said. Confessing that the Lord Jesus is Lord. Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I know it's not always a popular message, right? But that's what we believe for those of us who have come to believe. The second thing that we're called to do is confess with our mouth. So there's a response in the heart, and then there's a call to confess with our mouth. Why is this so? Is it because, well, there's this work that if you come to the prayer corner today and you tell somebody, then you're actually saved? No, that's not what it is. Just like you're not saved by coming to church or doing any other work. Baptism is not a step that we take to be saved. See, these things, confession with the mouth is our response to a belief in the good news. I mean, think of the best news that you've ever received. Okay, you have a new baby. You get accepted to grad school. You get an A on the test you could, didn't think you could get an A on. Your marriage is going much better, whatever it may be. And imagine just saying, I think I'll just sit on that. I think I'll just keep it to myself. No, because when it wells up inside, we can't help but share. And so the confession in our mouth is a response that we're called to do, to let others know, to stand up and acknowledge, hey, I'm with Jesus. Now, there are many other places in the world where to stand up and say that means your life. It means being ostracized from your family 
separated from everybody that you know and you love. For us, may mean a little making fun of. may mean thinking we're a little wacko. But that's what we're called to do, to not just keep it inside, but to share. And then to have from that place, the other behaviors, the other actions come forward from there. That's why it's so powerful when we do baptisms up here. Because people are standing up and saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm following him. There's no turning back. I've decided to go with him. Now, it's a rather simple thing to walk down to the prayer corner and say to somebody, I'm with Jesus. It's a rather simple thing to get dipped in a big pool of water. It's a rather simple action except what we know it's associated with, that we're saying we have died to self, we're following Jesus. That's not always easy for us to say. But here's what we need to know. We do not expect any response in behavior until we have first had a response to Jesus. It's a work that God does within us. So often what we'll do is we'll um, either come to church and say, okay, I'm going to get my behaviors right, and then maybe God will accept me. God says, come to me just as you are. I can take your filth. I can take your shame. I can take all your past actions. Jesus already paid for them on the cross. You just come as you are. I love you. I want you. Let me do a work in you. Sometimes we'll do this as church people. We'll say, okay, you're welcome here. Come have a cup of coffee. Now let me tell you about what you need to change, about what you wear, about how you wear your hair, about the way that you talk. And so we go into all this behavior modification rather than recognizing, hey, if it's not the gospel that's working, it's all passing away. It is the gospel that works in us. And that must be the right order of response. We don't expect transformed lives before belief in Jesus. It goes the other way around. The response that we long for is the eternal salvation of people in response of the gospel. There's a picture of this, Acts chapter 2. Church people will know this uh, very well because we talk about it a lot. Um, Acts chapter 2, this will be on page 779 of your Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 is where I'll start telling us, but just a little context. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, stands up. Okay, some uh, stuff's happening with the Holy Spirit. Again, we're going to talk about that um, in in a little bit to get grounded in what the Holy Spirit, how he works in us, how he works uh, through us. But uh, Peter, a coward before, transformed by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up and he gives this incredible sermon that uh, to about 3,000 people standing around there or more. And then in response to this gospel message, it's a very clear gospel message. You can read Acts chapter 2 for some background. I don't have time right now. Acts 2 verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, okay, Jewish people, religious people, when they heard this message of the gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he exhorted them and bore witness saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Cut to the heart. 
asking, what do I do? Peter telling them, it's repent, it's believe in Jesus, show it through baptism, receive his Holy Spirit. And there were 3,000 saved in that one day. I mean, we, as a church, we long for a day like that. We long for a message like that. We long for people responding like that. In fact, we continue looking further on and we see the type of church that develops from a people who are gripped by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see this tremendous community and say, we want to be an Acts 2 church, but we miss where it began with the message of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. You see, we don't try to manufacture church here. We don't try to say, hey, if we get everything right, all the great programs, all the great stuff in the lobby, if we get it just right, then people will be happy. No, the response that we desire and pray for and long to see is people cut to the heart, repentance coming to Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, church, if we don't understand the response that really we're here for, we can settle for some false responses. We can look at increasing attendance. And we can say, wow, we're doing awesome as a church. We look at some good activities, some new things for our kids, bigger budgets, bigger buildings. And we can say that's the response we're looking for. But if it's not coming from people being transformed by the gospel, it's all falling away. Somebody comes here and spends five years, ten years with us, but never comes to know Jesus. What we believe is that in eternity, it hasn't mattered. We've missed the one thing. Here's what we believe. In Romans chapter 10, continuing down, what we believe is that everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, it maybe seems a little narrow-minded in this culture, but we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes back to God or experiences eternity with him without calling on the name of Jesus. No one experiences the blessings and riches of God apart from what he has given us in his son. We need to grasp for those of us who who believe in the gospel that this is so worth it. The, The only thing that allows me to overcome my fears of questions, of doubts, of past things, of people pleasing, is the fact that I actually believe that the gospel saves And that God is in the business of saving people and that he has called us to be a part of it. And so whatever fears mount in view of that, that is the call that we have. You have to remember your own story. Talked about this last week. Your story, if you've come to faith in Jesus, maybe it's been several years. Maybe things have got tough. Maybe other questions have come up. If you go back and remember your story, how God has blessed you, how God has bestowed his riches, how he gave you assurance of salvation. I know life is hard and we get mounted with all these questions, but think back. Can you imagine going through the difficulties, the challenges, without the hope that we have in Jesus? And yet, 
There are many people in our own backyard. Yes, in Haiti and across the world, but in our own backyard who have not been given that opportunity to hear from Jesus. Because this is what Paul continues to write. There's a gospel-driven chain of events here. And he asks these questions and he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? See, here's how God calls it to happen. He says, for those of us that come to know the gospel, for those of us who are believers, who this sinks deep into our hearts, he says, okay, believers, you're sent. Jesus said it this way, after he died and rose from the dead, he said, go, make disciples, go, be my witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. God says it right here, believers are sent with this message of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there, just with going. It says, believers proclaim the gospel. Believers don't just sing music and do church. Believers proclaim the gospel clearly, which is what we're trying to grasp here. I don't know how many of us have risen up to the gospel challenge. But if we don't learn to proclaim the gospel in words, people see our actions and say, wow, those are some good people. And they never get to hear the actual gospel message. If they don't hear, how will they believe? In the chain of events, it says that when believers go as they're sent, when believers proclaim the gospel, that there will be non-believers who hear and that there will be non-believers who believe and call on Jesus and are saved. So if we look at this chain of events, where can it go wrong? Well, one, right? If believers do not go. If believers hear of needs in other parts of the world and say, you know what? Kind of busy right here with my own stuff. Or if people come to church and say, now this is good for me, but don't see the mission field right in our own backyard each and every day where God has sent you. See, what I believe is that we're not here by an accident. You're not here by an accident this morning. You didn't come from the Midwest or the East Coast or around the world or wherever it may be to Davis for no reason. I know, you came for a degree. I believe you've been here for something else. That God wants to do something in you. That God wants to do something through you. I came here as a grad student myself. Coming to get my degree. My wife and I were going to get out of town as soon as I got that degree. There was the countdown on and everything. And sometimes around this time of year, especially when there's a lot of visitors, people say, well, why did you stay? Why did you end up being a pastor? Usually I'll go to some kind of uh, picture of a boat down in Mexico where uh, I saw God and, and he, well, it is, I saw God in the beauty of nature, uh, but uh, just to be clear. Um, and he, he called me to be a pastor. And so I made that change. But if I could get real with you, church, it didn't begin at that moment. It began way back after I came to the reality of my sin and my filth and my shame and the beauty and the glory of Jesus years before when I got down before him and I said, Jesus, in view of you, whatever you call, I will do. Because you gave your life for me, so I give you my life. And a few years later, he pressed it on my heart and said, you remember 
when you said you give whatever I asked, I'm asking you to do this. To plant the flag in the ground, to be here, to carry on the vision, the mission that we are here for. And so that's what my family is here and what we're about. That's what this church is going to be about because I'll tell you, if we become just about being a comfortable place for people to come and sit, for people who already know Jesus, who just come and get a little comfort and then move on from where it is, that's not the church of Jesus. That's not a church that I want to be a part of. So as long as you allow me to be your leader here, we're going to carry on with the mission. We're going to carry on with the vision. Sometimes we can fail to go. Sometimes we can fail to proclaim. The gospel message is not the most popular. And so we can give a message that's more about just kind of helping ourselves up, giving it our best, loving other people, doing good works. But we got to proclaim the gospel. we got to proclaim it and not be ashamed. That doesn't just mean here on the stage. That means in our own lives wherever we go. Here's what I believe God's plan is. Here's what our plan is. It's not just that people would come here to a Sunday morning. Because by God's grace, people come and, and hear while we're here. But it'd be that we would go to people who will never come inside a church building. I tell you, if you're going to go, you need to proclaim the gospel. You need to know the gospel. This whole gospel challenge, whether you do it or not, it's not, we're not keeping track. But if you're not willing to, you got to ask why. If you believe in the gospel and you're not willing to share it, maybe that's a work God will do in you here and now. Another place that it could go wrong is that, um, again, sometimes people don't hear. Sometimes people don't want to show up and listen. You start the conversation and they uh, have to run off somewhere else. Sometimes they don't hear. And here's what we need to know as well, church. Uh, that sometimes the response that they give is rejection. Rejection of you, it may seem, but ultimately they are rejecting Jesus. That's their decision, not ours. Jesus told the story. Matthew chapter 13. It's called the parable of a sower. And he speaks about different kinds of soils. The sower, we're not all an agricultural people here, but it wasn't sowing clothes. He was sowing seeds. A farmer planting seeds. He goes out to sow his seeds in the field. He throws the seed and it says, um, some of it falls on hard soil. Birds come along and just take that seed and never even has a chance to get root. There's another type of soil, that's the rocky soil. And it takes a little bit of root and begins to grow, but then the sun comes out and it's really just a shallow grave, really. And really never takes root. As soon as things get tough, it withers and dies. There's another type of soil. And this is the thorny soil that all these weeds grow up and as it's growing, it chokes out its life and it never gets to bear fruit. It's there, but it's in a whole bunch of other weeds. And then he says that there's a type of soil that when the seed falls there, it grows and it bears much fruit. Much fruit. His disciples ask him, Jesus, what does that story mean about spiritual things? And he says, the sower is either Jesus himself or eventually his followers. And the seed is the gospel. And we are to sow that seed. 
continually and faithfully. And it will fall on different types of soil. The soils are the hearts of people. And Jesus paints a picture that says, of the soil that hears the gospel, maybe a quarter of them are actually going to bear fruit. The others are going to be taken away before even grasping fruit, before grasping root. Or when things get tough, it's going to wither and fade away. Others are just going to be choked out and not be fruitful. What soil do we want to be? The picture for us as a church is as we faithfully proclaim the gospel, share the gospel, we don't know how people are going to respond. And sometimes they may respond not to receive. We may get discouraged. Our job is not changing hearts. That is the job of God alone. Our job is to faithfully Proclaim the gospel. Share the gospel in words and in actions. Now being a pastor in Davis, I'll meet with some other pastors around and some of those say, ah, Davis, that must be a hard place. Hard soil, they'll sometimes say. Because we're pretty well off. We're intellectual in nature, many of us. And sometimes it is. But here's what I'll tell you, church. I don't want to be in a place where everybody knows Jesus. I want to be in a place where there's great opportunity for the gospel. And I'm thankful that God has planted me here and that he has called you to be here and to be about this work of proclaiming him. That we could stand before Jesus one day and say, we are faithful to your calling. But here's what gives me hope. It's been 14 years as a church so far. Sometimes it's challenging. There's only been two times where I very clearly saw a vision from God. One time was right after I'd become pastor when I was praying and asking that he would give us a vision here. And what he showed me was this. I think I actually brought a picture. Uh, a picture of something like the Hoover Dam. I said, is this the church? You know, <laughs> a picture of a dam, what goes on beyond a dam, it's a nice reservoir, fun to play in, fun to enjoy. But to people outside of that, on the other side of it, oftentimes the church can look like that, just a big wall that I can never get into and enjoy what they're getting into. Or, what God showed me is what the church is supposed to look like. A place where we overflow to a weary world with great need. This is who we are as a church. I got kind of discouraged after a few years. I said, God, is it, are we ever going to bear any fruit here? And that's when he responded again. And he showed me a verse in Isaiah that says, can you see I am doing a new thing? See now that it springs forth. And in the middle of downtown, the picture that I got was a picture of the springs coming forth into this city, watering the land. And what God showed me is that Don't you perceive what I'm doing? Wait on me. Continue faithfully. And what gives me much hope in the much of years of sometimes hardships and difficulties is the fact that God has said he's doing a work in this world. He has been faithful to us and kept us here as a church for all these years, and I believe he still wants to do a new thing. And so as we look at the gospel, has it taken root in our own lives? Do you sit here as you come to this place today? Have you heard things that say, you know what? 
I need a word of hope. I need a word of peace. I need a word. I need Jesus. And you even feel that belief coming up in your heart. And you're ready to confess. And uh, church, we're going to do something today. It's a little bit different. We don't always do this. But I just want to ask, if there's anybody that throughout this series has said, I have seen myself in a new way. I've seen God. I've seen my need for Jesus. Will you just in boldness and courage, just maybe stand up where you are. Has there been anybody? Praise God. Praise God. Celebrate that. I see you over there. That's good news. That's good news. Um, I want to ask another question, church. Because there's still some more work to be done, right? If you would stand before God, don't do this because your neighbor does it. But if you would stand before God this morning and say, I desire to be part of sharing you with the world around me. You have me here now. You're going to take me somewhere else maybe later. But wherever I am in my life, I want to be a part of sharing the good news that I've experienced with others. If you would just before God stand up and stay standing. I'm going to pray over us. Those of us who want to be a part of sharing the gospel. Who would say before Jesus today, because you saved me, I will be about your work. Let's bow our heads together. Lord God, Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for, for those who acknowledge today, maybe haven't confessed with their mouth yet, but they were willing to stand and say, you've done a work in me, Jesus, and I'm willing to let others know it. God, I thank you for them. I pray for many more like them who would come to know you and would come to know you through the ministry of this church or the ministry of other churches and fellowships. God, we pray for the students that are coming to the campus that think they're coming for fun or coming for a degree, but God, you are calling them because you want to grab a hold of them. God, be with our student ministries that are going out there and going to share the gospel. But God, be with us as a church as we stand before you, God, you know our hearts, you know our fears, you know our struggles. Do a work in us and do a work through us. Jesus, we need you. We need your spirit. We don't step out on our own because we know that you said we can't do it on our own. We will be fearful cowards in ourselves. But you sent your spirit. But God, I pray that you would come, that you would descend upon us in a new and fresh way. God, do a work in this city and beyond, wherever you lead us. God, give us your eyes for the people in our lives right now, in our workplace, in our city, in our neighborhoods. Help us to see with your eyes. God, give us your heart that breaks. Give us a prayer life that doesn't just focus on ourselves, but focuses on the work that you would have us do. That we would pray for those who we want to share with. That you would go before us. That you would open hearts. And that, that you would use us. God, use us in the lives of our families, our friends, our neighbors, all of those around us. God, I confess many times of wanting to give up. But God, you are faithful. Continue your work through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you can be seated.
we think about, you know, responding to the gospel, responding to the work that Jesus Christ has done um, in our lives and what he's done for us, communion is one of those opportunities where we get to respond, where we get to remember what Christ did for us, the price that he paid, the nails that went into his hands and his feet so that we might have a gospel to share. And so we do that, and we're going to do that this morning. And it's not something that we should do just because we do it. Um, and we do it every week, but it should be something that we do as we really remember, as we really respond to everything that, that God has done for us. And so if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you know what it means to respond, if you know what it means to trust in him, then we invite you to come and, and take the bread and take the juice and remember if you don't know what that means, if you haven't put your faith in, in God, we're so happy that you're here, and we'd love for you to visit the prayer corner. It's over here on the left, and there will be members of our prayer team. There'll be an elder there, and they would love to answer those questions, to tell you what it means to put your faith in Christ, what it means to take the body of Christ, to take the, the blood of Christ, and to remember what he did. And so if you're here with us this morning and you haven't put your faith in Christ, please visit the prayer corner. Get those uh, those answers to the questions that you have. Um, but for those of you that are believers, we just ask, please take time to reflect. Don't just rush into communion because that's what we're doing, but take time to, re to reflect on what it is that Christ has done and respond to him um, with joy uh, and gratitude.